this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. You know, in the middle of the night, most families expect to be at peace the family all sleeping and being restored back to health from our infirmities and from our weaknesses and from our sleepiness. And we want to be restored back, ready for the next day. You know, in life, we don't always know when tragedy will strike. And in uh, California, during the season of, of storms, often uh, called El Nino, there's a, there's a time where, uh, or a specific storm where a mudslide occurred. And a family was asleep during the night, and this mudslide hit a portion of their home where a child was sleeping in a crib, and it swept that child away. And the uh, family began to desperately call out to the child in hopes that they would hear a cry, in hopes that they would find the young child. And in the midst of uh, the night, they cried out and cried out and continued to cry out with no finding the child. The next morning, rescuers sought to find any life or anything that they were looking for to save and to bring back into restoration to save this individual. And as they were crying out, they found a child covered in filth and in mud caked around all of them. And they began to look for the family or a family that might claim the child. And when this family walked up to the rescuer, uh, it's told as the mother just simply threw her arms around the child and embraced her child with the filth around it. Because when you love someone, filth doesn't separate you. Recently, my son choked on a piece of candy, hard candy, while we were playing. I didn't know he had it in his mouth. And uh, he was walking towards my wife, and when he was, he wasn't breathing. And so she noticed and, and uh, cried out for help. And, and at the time, I did everything I could do. I didn't know exactly necessarily what to do besides what I had heard and seen. Uh, of what to do in these situations, and so I immediately flipped my son over and started hitting his the back of his uh, hitting his back repeatedly in hopes that his he would cough it up himself. And when he didn't, after continued attempts, I flipped him back over and did what I'd heard to do, and that is to essentially take your finger and and throw it down their throat and try to pull out the candy. And when I did, apparently I I uh, I, I didn't know what man you don't know what you're touching. But apparently, I hit the candy, and it broke. And um, through God's grace, he wasn't, at that time, wasn't breathing, and so he didn't asphyxiate, like the candy didn't go down his lungs or anything. But I was able to yank that candy out of his throat, and at the same time, as he began to try and breathe, he, he threw up what was in his mouth and was covered in it, kind of realizing that he was just afraid, Right? trying to come to breath and he's just afraid and when I looked at my son covered in this mess I didn't look at him and go somebody go clean him up I embraced him and put him in my arms because I wanted him to know that it was going to be okay he didn't have breath yet it took a couple seconds my wife and I watched him come back to his first breath and so when he did I wanted him to know that it was going to be okay so that he didn't cause more anxiety in his heart and to, and to fear it so that it caused him not to be able to, to, to catch that breath and to lose some of that breath. So I wanted him to have peace and comfort and I wanted to assure him that everything was going to be okay. So I just held him. 
And my God loves you despite your filth. By the end of this sermon, I hope that you are amazed at the grace of God to redeem you and reclaim you. Based on His Word and His truth in this Word, I hope that you will look at the cross so desperately longing for the goodness and grace of God so much more than the allure of sin in this world. In Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. You know, and often in life we doubt our works because of our faith, and we doubt our faith because of our works, and it becomes a cycle. And it's, it's almost like a treacherous cycle of, of, of creating and building up a mountain full of doubt and struggle. A mountain full of sin and defeats and failures and guilt. And we build up these mountains around us that go, okay, well, if I struggle with works, then I, may, I must not be saved. Because the Bible tells me if, I, if I'm not doing what, what is right, then, then maybe I don't have a heart that is right. And maybe I've not, be, by faith, declared that Christ is Lord and the Spirit hasn't poured out my heart. And so you look at your works and you're like, man, maybe I just don't have faith. And then all of a sudden you go back to your faith and you're like, if I just had more faith, I'd do what is right. And you start struggling with your faith and you look at your faith and you go, okay, I don't have works. So I'm not producing them. So maybe my faith is struggling. You look at your works and you're like, maybe my faith is struggling. And all of it just is a cycle. Right? You look at your faith and you think it's struggling. You look at your works and you think your faith is struggling. And it builds up this mountain of struggle. This morning, I want you to lose sight of the allure of sin because Jesus becomes your focus. I want you to so desperately long for Christ that you no longer want or desire what the world declares is good for you. Have you ever been to a landfill or a junkyard before? If you haven't, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. I'm serious. I was being serious. That wasn't even a joke. My kids like to go. I think it's pretty amazing. My kids uh, like to go. And, uh, you know, I, t- I take my truck with all the trash in it, and we go to the landfill, and it's just, it's huge. My son loves to see the trucks. I actually don't know if my daughter likes to go there, but my son loves to see the trucks and all the stuff out there, right? It's just fascinating. And uh, I've been to, if you've ever been to Guatemala, you know that it's got the second largest landfill in the world. It's massive. You look out and it just covers everything. And in fact, in in that landfill, people have built homes out of the landfill. Like you can stack it up and and create a home and live inside there and get food from within it and and water. And everything comes from within this landfill. It's amazing. Like it's, it's astounding what you see in those moments. It's astounding what you see at landfills because it is the filth of the world, right? Like it's what, what, where we take our trash. Literally, we've created places that are like the destination for trash. It's in the, in the midst of those things that some people will go seek out treasures. Uh, so maybe somebody throws away a diamond watch or maybe somebody throws away a diamond ring accidentally. Maybe something gets lost in the trash and it's of great value or they didn't understand what value that actually had. So I looked up online. I was like, hey, I'm going to find a, a, an illustration for the sermon to, to understand more clearly. Like, what have people found in the trash? When I found out what people find in the trash, I no longer wanted to give you an illustration for what people found in the trash. I was like, whoa, so don't look it up. Uh, it, but what I did find was there was, a, there was a lady in New York who she accidentally threw away her diamond ring, and it was of great, such great value to her 
that she traced it, and it went from her trash can to a trash truck, and eventually it was taken to a barge. Because apparently in New York, they, they put the trash on barges and ship it somewhere else to be incinerated or to be collected in some capacity. And so she actually had the barge stopped and sent a team of people in to find her diamond ring. And they found it. Unbelievable, right? It's amazing. And I thought, wow, that's like the gospel. Like, that's, like Christ came into the filth of this world, the mess of this world, and he found us in the midst of it, and he finds like, like he goes to us to save us. And then I was like, man, that's not the gospel. Because look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11. And I was like, man, man that, that might be the gospel that some of us want to hear, or some of us preach, or maybe sometimes we feel like it's the reality and we never match up because we don't look like diamonds and we don't feel like we have great value. But the truth of the gospel is that his grace is for all people, not just for those who think they have value or show that they have value, because our value isn't determined by what we have done, or, but instead by who we are, and we are his. So if you're trying to be someone worth something for God, recognize that your worth was, was before you could, were ever even born, God gave you value and worth based on you being his child and his creation. And because of that, he would die for you, not because of the value in you, but because of who you have been created to be and who you have been declared to be. You are his child. Because my God loves you despite your filth. Titus 2.11 uh, says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And look, don't think that Paul didn't recognize where he was putting this in the place within this book. He talks about men who have abandoned their families, women who have abandoned their families, young men and women who have sought out the things in this world. And then he concludes with uh, those who have been slaves within the household and how they can be faithful to God in the midst of their enslavement. And then all of a sudden on the foothills of all that depravity, he says, and grace is for you all. Like that's where God orchestrates this beautiful message of salvation for all people right after those who have been separated out from the grace of the world, they find that they have the grace of God. You see, the Romans and the Greeks had a moment in their grand plays, which people would watch in these huge auditoriums, and they had this moment in the plays where there was a specific crisis, and uh, their gods would save a specific people from that crisis, but only those specific people. You see, they, those people had been raised up to know that there was gods who would save certain people, but not all people. When Titus is written, when Paul writes these words down on these pages, he knows what he's saying. He's saying that God doesn't just save that elite group or those specific people, but he saves all. The grace of God in itself in this moment is hard to even imagine, not just for all people, but the depth of that grace for all types of people and for people who've done all different things. It's like a murderer being forgiven by the victim's family or an angry alcoholic being given a second chance with his family or a destructive gossiper being restored to their friend or a selfish person being given a gracious spouse. Grace doesn't make sense in a bloodthirsty world or a cancel culture world. It just doesn't make sense. So if you want to understand it, you got to go back to grace and you got to look at it because you've got to lay down all your judgments at the feet of the cross because at the cross Jesus Christ gave up judgment by the graciousness of his father and God's grace is so beyond that understanding so above our ability that all we have to do is look at that cross in awe and thanks and go why didn't you judge me condemned why have you judged me right and it's all because of the son because at the cross the judgment of the world met the grace of God and for 2,000 years and including my lifetime we have pondered as humans how we might can believe that God would take our evil and cast it upon his son so that I would be declared to be his child. It's unimaginable. And yet he did it. 
because my God loves you despite your filth. For every slave held in bondage and for every man who's failed his family and for every woman who has severed their relationship with their daughter or a young man or woman who has chased worldly pleasures, there's salvation in Jesus for all people. Titus wants us to know, though, we cannot forget this, that God's grace instructs his people. You see, it's a result clause. Look at verse 12. It says, instructing us to deny godlessness. It's a result clause. It means it's the result of something, that God's grace results in instructing. So God's gracious love through Jesus Christ poured out on the cross instructs us to deny godlessness. You don't have one without the other. You see, grace without instruction is not grace at all. Forgiveness without life is like teasing us with half grace. God didn't promise you forgiveness forgiveness without life. He promised you eternal life now that includes how to live in a way that is flourishing in this present age. Did you notice that? It says instructing us to deny godlessness and instead to live in a godly way when? In this present age. Some of us, what we've done is we've taken verse 11 and we move to verse 13 and we go, okay, in this life I've been given grace and in the next life I have hope for perfection, but in this life right now I'm just a failure. And so, uh, so here's what happens. We build up these mountains full of sin and guilt and failures and these mountains come up before us and we look at them and we're like, that's what defines me, right? It casts a shadow on your life that you feel like you can't look beyond and you feel like you can't climb up and you see the peak of it and you're like, that's the, that's the majesty of my sin. Everything that I can see on that, that's the greatness of my sin. And all of a sudden we go, I can take 11 and 13, but 12, I ain't got nothing to do with that. Why? Because instructing us to deny godliness, no, I'm living in godlessness. causing me to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, I can't do that. Well, that's rejecting the gospel because the gospel is not just separation from hell. It's forever with God in eternity. We can't miss heaven just trying to escape hell because God has brought heaven into earth that you might have life now. It's what John 4 says. When the woman is at the well, she's not longing for life after life. She's longing for life now. She wants to know, where can I find life? And Jesus says, I am the water you long for. Right now in this present age, there's a promise of grace, but there's also a promise of truth that we can be freed and forgiven from our sins so that we might live according to what God has called us to do, instructing us to deny godlessness in this world and to live in a godly way in this present age. And while we do, we need to remember this, that if you want to thrive in life, deny godlessness, deny worldly lust. And if you want to thrive in life, live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. You see, because Paul puts it in this way, in this present age, you're going to live different because the Holy Spirit is in you. So that in verse 13, look at verse 13 with me. It says, while we wait for the blessed hope. You see, in this life, we're going to deny godlessness and we're going to pick up godly ways of living and we're going to live that out while we wait because the gospel isn't just for the future, it's for now. There's a God who wants to change your life now. And I'm not telling you he's going to give you more money or more fame or more pleasure and all those different things. But if you want to find what real life is about. If you want to find the good life that God gave you, not the good life that this, prom- this world has promised you, if you want to find that, you got to look at the gospel, and the gospel contains it. And if we preach a half gospel that just says you have freedom from hell without showing you that you have life with Christ, then we've not given you what the good news actually says. Because while we wait for the blessed hope, we live in a different way. 
Why? Because our eyes are fixed on the goodness of God and the grace that's found in Jesus Christ and not the allure of sin in this world. You see, our hope sustains that kind of obedience. Look at verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, that kind of hope sustains obedience. You've got to remember that there's something coming in front of you, that not only sin has been taken away from you, but brokenness will be gone forevermore in heaven. And so we won't feel the effects of sin. In this life, you may be freed and forgiven of sin, but you might still feel the effects of the fall, the death, the disease in your own life, the brokenness and division in your own life. And you're going, how can I live in a world full of this brokenness? And God said... Uh, in, in grace for you, instruction how to live, but remember, I've promised you something else. You see, it says the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't forget that He is coming back. This passage right here, this verse, this one verse will tell you so much about salvation and the return of Jesus. And it is so critical to your understanding of the gospel message right here in this passage because on the cross, it was not just a man. On the cross, it was not just a prophet. On the cross, it was God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. In fact, many passages, uh, sorry, translations would translate this particular verse in a different way. If you're reading from the KJV or if you're reading from the Jehovah Witness translation, you'll see this as two different people. You'll see it saying, the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to slow down for a second because this is important and difficult to understand. There are translations that present this as two different people. Our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So you have to ask, why does the NIV, HCSB, NASB, ESV, and CSB, and a lot of other translations translate this as one person? Why would it declare that Jesus Christ is God? Because I know that somebody in this room has been asked before, how can you believe that Jesus is God? Why would you believe that, right? Somebody's been asked that historically. How can you believe this man is actually God? Because if he's not God, the cross is not effective. If he is God, the cross changes the rest of eternity. And so we look at this, like the crux of the cross hangs upon this idea that Jesus is in fact God. And so you have to pause here for a moment and go, okay, is this the same person? And without going into too much Greek t- detail, I want to show you a few things that are critical in understanding this. Look at verse... 10. Titus 2.10, it says, or stealing but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. There is a God who is our Savior. The next time that's used is in verse, somewhat in verse 11 when it says uh, uh, that God is, uh, the grace of God has appeared and it's salvation for uh, all people. And then you see it again in verse 13 when it declares that Jesus Christ is our Savior. The time before Jesus Christ is declared Savior God is declared a savior. You don't get Jesus, you don't get human beings being declared the same thing as only God can hold. Like God is our savior. If Jesus Christ is our savior, then therefore Jesus Christ is God. It's the most natural reading in the text that it's uh, our God and savior Jesus Christ. It's the most natural, but it also just makes sense with the flow of the passage. God our savior, his grace has appeared and that grace happens to be Jesus Christ our God and savior. Now, further, the only person who receives this verb appearing is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus literally appeared to us. Jesus comes to earth appearing to us. We, we physically experienced and saw him two, over 2,000 years ago. Jesus appeared to many, right? Disciples and then Paul and 
a multitude of peoples. So every time and you see it throughout the pastoral epistles, and specifically in Titus, every time we see it, appeared is referring to Jesus. Well, if you look at verse 13, it says that the grace of God has appeared. It's, it's God our Savior, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has appeared. The greatness. And so you see appeared used of God, it must be Jesus. Jesus is God. You look at verse 11 and verse 13, saving and Savior. God's grace saves. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God. It's important because on the cross, we've mounted up evidence against us. Like you look at the evidence against us and it's vast. You look at your life and you, I, many of you probably have built up mountains surrounding you of guilt and failure and sin and struggle. Some of you are still wrestling with that internally, trying to figure out how you view that. If the guy on the cross is not God, if the guy on the cross is not capable, if he's not powerful, if he's not able to save, if he's not able to deliver us, that mountain's much more vast and greater. But when we recognize that the guy on the cross was not just a man, but he was God, we understand that there's no mountain that's greater than Christ. There's no mountain that's greater than the cross. There's no mountain that can't be overcome. There's no fear and failure and sin and guilt and defeat that can overcome you. Paul furthers this for us. He helps us to understand this more in verse 14. It says, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Who can redeem? In the Old Testament, come on, who can redeem? God alone can redeem. To say that Jesus Christ is redeeming us from all lawlessness is to say that Jesus Christ is God. And to say that He's redeeming us means that He saw us in our filth and didn't see us as a diamond in the midst of trash. He saw us for what we really are. He saw us for who we are and what we do. And in that moment, He declared us to be worth sending His Son to die for us. So he redeems us from all lawlessness. And I think this is unbelievable. Like, have you, uh, this morning, my, my son woke up early, and uh, so I went into his room to hold him and to try to rock him, right? And I'm sitting there holding him, I'm praying through this, this sermon, and all of a sudden it's just like I'm holding, and y'all know that feeling when like a, just your, your child just lays their head on your chest? and just like embraces you, that love and that warmth like that, it's just, man, there's, no, there's almost nothing more pure than a young child's just love and grace extended to his parents. It's unbelievable. But I'm also not ignorant enough, like I, I, hope, I hope I'm not ignorant to think that there's not going to be a day and a time where I'm going to look at my son and be frustrated with, with the choices he's made. That there's going to be times in his life where he's going to choose sin and it's going to lead to brokenness. And I'm going to look at that and be frustrated because it's going to hurt him. Right? Like the choices we make lead to hurt in our lives. And I know that I've seen this young boy and I'm like, man, he's so good. Like he's so kind and gracious. But I know there's a time where he's going to make decisions that I'm going to be frustrated about. That I'm not going to even want for him. And it's going to lead to pain in his life. The amazing thing about God's grace is He didn't choose us when we looked so good. 
and kind. He chose us when we were making all the terrible decisions. He chose us when we built up a mountain of guilt and failures. That's when he chose to redeem us. But despite our filth and our struggles and sin in the midst of it, he still chose to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. He found us in the midst of our filth and chose to cleanse us. Because our God is a God who loves us despite our filth and cleanses us. It's an an unimaginable thing to think that God would give his son so that I could become one of his children. And not only that, but to give his son whom is perfect so that he could take me who is imperfect to be his child. Do you understand the swap that just happened there? Like, can you fathom what that is like? He gave up perfection to take up imperfection and then restored both to live for eternity. That's unbelievable grace. And the beauty of the gospel is that it does not have to be unbelievable. Like, it doesn't make sense to humans, but yet it's true. And so now we can, by faith, come to knowledge of that truth and be transformed by it forever. It shouldn't, like, in worldly terms, that kind of stuff doesn't happen. And so it seems unbelievable. And the beauty of the gospel is that it can, it can be believed today by you and it will change your life. Paul tells Titus, proclaim these things. Man, church, if we're going to proclaim something, let's proclaim this. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Edis, the message that we are able to preach is a message that is greater than anybody in this world or any institution in this world can preach. So what does it mean for you? It means that the gospel is not that if you have faith, you will simply escape hell. I want you to see that in Titus 2, verses 11 through 15, because it's what it's communicating is that the gospel is that God has saved you, that His grace has saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ, by living a perfect life that we could not live, dying a death with our sin, our mountain upon His shoulders like we should have. That should have been our death, and yet He took it for us, and raising His Son from the dead so that one day I too will be raised from the dead. It means that the same Spirit that caused Christ to live in perfection is promised to you on earth. It means that you can live in God's wills and commands because the Spirit is in you. It means that even if you die on earth, you will live forever with God. It means that your destiny is no longer death, no longer hell, but instead life begins now with God forever. Heaven is here. And so as we call down heaven, don't forget... Don't forget the goodness of God and grace of God is transforming you right now. And if the allure of sin and the mountain of sin looks like too much for you in this life, remember Christ didn't die just so that you could escape. Christ died so that right now you could have life. And I think that's important for you to understand today. I think it's important for you to know that you can live according to God's godly way today because it's a promise that we so often miss in scripture and in life. You might feel like today you're like sitting there like, man, I just, I cause division. I cause destruction. I cause hate around me and I make people frustrated around me and I don't love and I don't forgive. You may be sitting there today like, I don't, Matt, I don't know why I cause all this, but I do. 
And maybe somebody one time told you, if you believe in Jesus, you'll be forgiven, but they didn't tell you what, what else there was to it. They told you the grace of God had come, but they didn't tell you that it was instructing you to live in a godly way against godlessness. And they didn't tell you that that brought life into this life and that you would thrive in the midst of God's presence in your life and that you can find hope in the midst of this waiting upon Christ returning and appearing back to us. And you've forgotten hope. And look, hope causes endurance. And if you've forgotten hope and, and you're living in a way that you're like, man, I don't know what to do next. I've lost purpose. I've lost uh, um, um, the willingness to do what is right. I've lost all those things. Would you give me, God, a new sense of life? Well, I want to tell you specifically from my life. When I was 19 years old and I was wrestling with my own faith, at seven years old, I went to my mom and I, I told her I wanted to believe in Jesus and we had this conversation. And for the next 12 years, I, I wrestled like I was building up a mountain and Christ was dying on the cross for me. Like it was almost like I was pitting two uh, great, uh, 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 this war against itself. It was like, I'm going to pit my, my sin and my failures up against the cross and see which one's greater. And at 19 years old, I discovered which one was greater. And it was in that moment that I recognized that if my God is greater than my mountain, that I could have life in this world. And that the gospel actually changed my life forever. And it was in the midst of that time that I wrote this, this, this challenge and I've renewed this challenge in my heart where I've, where I've had to seek through and understand what the gospel actually did for me. Because look, if I'm being honest with you, I'm just going to be real with you. If I'm, if, I'm, if, if I'm laying it all out there and just showing you behind the scenes of my life, as I was wrestling and building up things, man, I was, I was causing, if you haven't heard this before, I was causing hurt around me. I was hurting people. I was hurting my family. I was breaking friendships. And I'm not kidding. Like I was literally breaking down friendships that I'm not sure will ever be restored again. I've forgiven and I hope they forgive me, but I don't know. I was going from girl to girl. I was going from different feeling to different feeling. I was drawing in things that would be an allure to be hope and be good for my life. And I wanted to escape from the pain that I felt within me, that emptiness within me. I thought that I could find it from the things in this world. And there was a battle raging within me. It wasn't that I wasn't saved. I, I don't even know the, the complexities of that. But here's what I do know. I know there was a war raging within me. And I know there was a battle that had been, had been set within me that was uh, ordained by God from the beginning of time. He knew what I would go through and he knew how he would fight for me and he knew the mountain that I would build up before him and he knew that his son was greater than that mountain and out of that came this, this cry because I recognized that everything that I face looks like a mountain of failures around me. When I was 19 years old, it looked like I had built up this sin and failure, this guilt and these fears in my life, this anxiety in my life. Like I was going to look at it and go, that is what defines me. It was a new mountain. Like there was mountains all around me. It looked like it surrounded me, knowing that the peaks of those mountains were what defined me. The allure and the grandeur of these mountains are going to be what defines me in my life. All eyes on the around me were on those peaks. I felt like everyone, my friends and my family and the culture would see those peaks and go, that's who you are. I thought that was my story. I thought it was my defeat. Because everything that I faced wanted to take my life away from me. But I am his, and his grace is better, and he had life for me, and he knew what he wanted for me, and he knew what his son gave up for me. So I thought this mountain was my failure rising up before me. I thought that my weakness was going to come up before it and never be able to conquer. I thought that I was too small and too weak to ever be able to conquer the mountains that surrounded me. 
And my God says, look around you. He created this. He walked through this. He conquered this. My Jesus lived in this. And in this, he only lost what he freely gave. And in this, he gave everything so that I might be found. His life on the cross. His life, my victory. It's my freedom, my forgiveness. His life is my life forever. I have nothing else but him, so I freely give to him. This life I have lost, the cross was the cost, my cross, because of his cross, so that the battle would be won in me and through him. Our hope, our king, will appear and his salvation is all I have. Every fear, every sin, my God and my Savior, every failure, every loss, my God and my Savior. Because I thought that the mountain before me was more than I could handle. And the truth is, it was. And it will always be, but not my God and my Savior. Because on the cross, my King gave his life for me. So cast your crown at his feet. Because he could, took up the cross for you. Because my God loves you despite your filth. And because my God chose me at 19 years old despite my failures and defeats and my fears and my anxiety and somebody in this room today feels like their fears and their failures and their sin and their struggle is what defines them. And I want you to know God chose you as his child. When everything was laid out before you, when every failure was laid out before him, he didn't choose the diamond ring. He chose you. And I know it doesn't make sense to our futile human minds how He could forgive us in the midst of our brokenness, but if you feel like today you are so broken and so sinful and you've been so far from God, or maybe you're in here today and then you say, I've been in the church for 50 years, I can't tell anybody I've never believed. I want you to know something today. God already knows. And He's already chosen you. You need God's grace. You need greater hope. And you need greater purpose. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for Himself a people for His own possession, eager to do good works. Brothers and sisters, are you eager to do good works? The reason I ask you that question is this, is because when I was 19 years old, I wanted sin. It was alluring. I desired it, and it felt good. I wanted sin. I'm not, we, don't need to act, like, why do we, we don't need to act like it's not like something that we, that literally the devil has created to draw us into it. It wants you. It's positioned in the world as something that will free you. And I wanted all of it. The change in me is not that I don't ever sin anymore, man. I'm standing before you a broken man. Ask my wife. The tears that flow from my face aren't because I'm in heaven. They're because I'm living in a world that's still tempting me and I still feel brokenness. And so when I stand before you today, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but here's what I would tell you. I'm captured in sin when I'm 19 years old. I'm a lord to sin when I'm 19 years old. But I can stand before you today and say this. I don't want to sin today. I'm not saying I don't sin. I'm not going to act like I'm perfect in front of you. But I don't want. I can't stand it. I hate it. I want to push it away. I draw away from it and towards God. I don't want that stuff. And I want to ask you this morning. Do you want goodness in your life? And do you want to escape sin? Do you hate that sin, reject that sin, and pursue after God? What do you want? Man, I was allured by sin. 
Today I want to ask you the question, are you fighting sin? Because Titus 2, 11 through 15 would tell us this. God's grace is instructing us to reject sin. And here's how it culminates. Be eager to do good works. Why? Because the grace that is in us shows us that good works are better for us. And if you don't have faith, you won't understand that God's will and God's commands are actually better for you. So as the band comes to lead us in worship, I just want to ask you this morning, would you open up your hearts to God's truth? Would you open up your hearts to God's grace? I hope that you will look at the grace of God and the cross of Jesus Christ, and it will so draw you away from the allure of sin in this world that you want nothing else other than the cross of Christ. That the allure of sin would fall down at the feet of Christ and be crushed like Satan will in the future. May my God and King redeem you from your sin and cleanse you for his own possession. And this morning, would you lay down at the cross your crown? Would you lay down at the cross all the allures of this world? Would you submit for the first time to God's word to say, I'm no longer going to desire this sin. I'm no longer going to desire the things of this world. I want you, and I want you alone, Jesus. I can't promise you perfection this side of heaven, but what I can promise you is my God will change your heart. It's a promise of Scripture. The Spirit of God in with you will change your heart. It will cause you to desire what is good and reject what is evil. May my God do this in your heart today. If you're in here this morning and you don't know the next step, maybe you've never believed in Jesus, or maybe you've been sitting in church for a long time, somebody pulls you to church and you feel like you got to go, or maybe, maybe you've uh, walked through church a long time in your life and you've served, but you've never believed in the goodness of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You just found community in the church. I want to ask you to come talk to me or come talk to one of our pastors. I see Pastor Glenn's in here. Come talk to one of us. We want you to know the goodness of God's gospel today because the world will try to rob you of life and give you hell, but God has promised you heaven. He's promised you life now. Let me pray for you. Father, would you forgive us this morning? I pray, God, that your spirit would move in this place, that you would capture our hearts with your grace and your mercy, that you would affix our eyes to your cross, to the resurrection. God, would you take away the allure of this world and would you show us how good your commands and will is? Would you show us what we ought to desire? And God, would you cause our hearts to desire that, to love what is good and hate what is evil? God, would you cause us to long for your son and to draw near to you? I pray, Father, right now in this moment, you'd pour your spirit out on this place. I pray, God, you would wake up a dead soul. I pray, God, that you would forgive a weary sinner. I pray, God, you would break down pride in this room. God, would you work in this place? We love you, Father, and we praise you in your son's name. Amen.
Remember, you're sending the midst of darkness to light it up. I hope to see you next week. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.